Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for April 26th, 2015. Today's podcast is the sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this week is entitled, The Sound of Trees Walking. I love it when it all comes together. I hope you can see that today. In 2012, I preached on this text, and I offered the following about Jesus' not-so-brilliant disciples. Jesus and his disciples. Hmm. It's a little bit like listening to Laurel and Hardy, and if you add a little of the physical comedy of those three nim-witted stooges to the text, Well, you would get a picture of how Jesus must surely have felt about his dozen goofy shadows, which the gospel writers dubbed the apostles. I'd love to know from the writer we call Mark if he really wanted us to laugh out loud when we read about them. Was it humor he was trying to convey so often or an ironic disappointment that this first century rat pack could have been walking around with the one Mark called the Son of God and still just not gotten it. They didn't get it. Do you not remember? The scene really is a comical one, and I wonder how many mothers in the crowd can relate. The boys, I'll call them, were going on another outing that day with their buddy Jesus. See you, Mom. Or, hey, honey, I'll be back after supper. Yeah, we're going out with Jesus again. But they had hardly begun the trip across the water when someone said, I'm hungry. You know, men are always hungry. Got anything to eat? And they all sort of looked around at each other anxiously. What have you got, Judas barked. Nathaniel shrugged his shoulders. Bartholomew pulled out two dried up dates out of his pocket, but he wasn't going to offer those to anybody. John had a fig, and Peter just tossed an apple core over the bow and said, don't look at me, no one put me in charge of lunch. (laughs) Then they saw Jesus look away from the back of the boat, and they all hunkered down just a little bit and diverted their eyes. And then Philip, who had apparently already forgotten the last time they came away with no food, Yes, the time Jesus fed the whole crowd with a handful of muffins and a couple of little sardines. Philip, of all people, said to the guys, well, I've got a loaf of bread, but that won't be enough for all of us. I could eat this whole thing myself. Do you not remember? Don't tell me that Mark did not intend for us to laugh here. In the sixth chapter of his story, he tells us about that miraculous day. 5,000 hungry bellies filled to overflowing on five loaves and two boy-sized fish. And practically in the next chapter, tell me that Mark did not put these episodes back to back to make a theological point back-to-back, no matter how they actually, when they actually happened, so quickly, again, they've got one loaf of bread, and they're worried? You understand what I'm saying here? What should have been going through their minds? I can tell you what I would have been thinking. Hey, Jesus, 
The fish sandwich was pretty good last time, but how about a New York strip tonight? Medium rare, if you don't mind. Now, I'm not being sacrilegious. What man in his right mind could have spent that day with Jesus and ever have worried about just having one loaf of bread again? Do you not remember? The gospel truth is that in the presence of grace, there will always be enough. And the church is supposed to be the people who had our fill so that we know there is enough. Do you not remember? So we have these two stories. The feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and the feeding of 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. What is the writer we call Mark trying to tell us by putting such similar stories so closely together in his gospel? And to make matters worse here, or to add to the comedic effect, just after the second great feeding of 4,000, there are a few religious snobs who are equally comical in their unrestrained self-righteousness. Jesus, we need a sign. Could we just get a sign from you? Really? You're not laughing. Do you not understand what they just saw? And they said, we need a sign? There's not a person in this room who has not heard the joke, but I have to tell it right here. The guy was standing in his yard as the river spilled out over the banks, the flood water rising. Two fellows came by paddling a little John boat and they offered to take him to safety. No, he said, the Lord will provide. Well, a few hours went by and the water had risen all the way up into the yard. He was standing on his porch when another boat came by filled with people who had been rescued from the flood. And someone yelled out, there's room for one more. Jump in and we'll save you. No, he said, the Lord will provide. Well, the water kept rising, and he went into the house, and then he had to go into his attic, and then finally he climbed up onto the roof, and he looked out, and there was a helicopter coming, and it came by, and it dropped a rope down, and from above, he heard a voice, grab the rope, we'll pull you to safety. No, he said, the Lord will provide. You know the end of the story. The next scene, he's in heaven, and he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, how is it that you came to be here today? And the guy told him what had happened. And then he said, but tell me, Jesus, why didn't you save me? And Jesus said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? You see, the Pharisees, these Pharisees wanted a sign. Get it? Wow. The truth here is just so obvious, isn't it? Or is it? Jesus makes his disciples recall this story and repeat out loud for him the outcome of those feedings, like some elementary school teacher. Do you remember when I fed the 5,000? And he had to re they had to repeat back to him, yes, teacher, we remember. You know, Jesus is, is teaching them. And Mark says the 12 baskets full were collected in kofinos, he uses a Hebrew word for baskets. And then the excess feeding of the 4,000, the, the remnants were collected in spuridon, which is the Greek word for baskets. Hebrew word for baskets. Greek word for baskets. 
12 baskets full left over. That's all the church, all the tribes of Israel. Seven baskets full left over. That's the word for completion or fullness. Mark's narrative has Jesus running back and forth from one side of the lake to the other, from the Hebrew Jewish side of the lake to the Greek Gentile side of the lake. Are you beginning to get it here? The sea represents the chaos of division between those two parties, and the disciples do not understand that in Jesus, one loaf is all that was needed. All divisions are healed in Jesus. Maybe there is more to it than we thought. Maybe there's more than just obvious truth. Maybe we need to look again. A koan is a paradoxical statement used in Buddhist practice. You're supposed to meditate on that statement until you realize that you cannot understand it by your ordinary categories at which point enlightenment is supposed to break in. If you Google the word koan, you will find the nonsensical question, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Maybe you can sit in the dark and think about that for a while and come to some sense of enlightenment. Of course, one hand clapping makes no sound. The point of the technique is to invite the disciple into that place where reason gives way to a deeper understanding of truth. You cannot make sense of the koan by engaging that question on the surface by your common understanding of the categories. It's a little bit like Einstein said, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. We've got to think deeply. We've got to look more carefully. And a wonderful little book called Meeting God in Mark, Rowan Williams, who is master of Magdalen College, Cambridge, says that through his gospel, Mark is saying, if you feel stupid and at a loss when confronted with the words and the work of Jesus, do not be surprised. You're not the first and you won't be the last. Mark does not offer the extended teaching lessons of the other Gospels, only an action-filled sequence of Jesus' work among the people. He does this, and immediately he does this, and immediately he does this, and he crosses the lake, and he crosses the lake, and he crosses the lake. Don't feel stupid if you don't understand the point, because many of those stories don't seem to have a conclusive point, which... Rowan Williams says, is the point. Mark wants to tell a story and present situations that bring us up short. You've got to fill in the answer. Mark, he says, is a long koan. It is meant to bring us to the edge, to tell us that our understanding will not manage this in clear and tidy ways. It's a truth that can't be spoken easily, or rather, as soon as it's spoken, it provokes more questioning. We can absorb such truth only by letting go of what we thought we knew about God and ourselves. How do you think about God? 
What defines the way you think about this world? How do you understand right and wrong and good and bad and truth and untruth? Yesterday I was taking part of a men's retreat at Montreat. The leader of that day's session lives at a boys' camp, safely secluded, safely tucked away from the nine-to-five life and many of the stresses that you enjoy in an urban world. Amy and I have often commented on how refreshing and simple, how countercultural, and how completely different this man's life and his family life must be from our own. But Dan said to me yesterday that he had come to realize how deeply ingrained the American mythology is in his way of thinking. Economics and progress and productivity American style shape his family and his values and his theology. Even far removed from the Bank of America culture of our bustling city, Dan finds himself trapped in the categories, the definitions of capitalism and democracy and the Protestant work ethic. Now he was not saying that all those things are all bad. He was saying that the Jesus story pushes up against all of them. Jesus offers us a radically different way to think about our money and our time and our neighbor and our enemy and our past and our future. So maybe we're more like those clumsy disciples than we'd like to admit. And then we come to this final story which seems disconnected. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Jesus touches this man and he sees, but not exactly sees. Now we can ask all kinds of questions about why this is so, and that may be Mark's reason for leaving it ambiguous as he does. After Jesus touches the man a second time, he sees, but he says the people are like trees walking around. So Jesus touches him again, and the scripture says he looks intently. Well, who is he? Does Jesus look more intently? Like Jesus might not have been concentrating the first time he touched him? Or does the man look more intently? As if Jesus offered the healing, but he didn't quite do his part the first time. Which is it? There is not an answer. And there's not supposed to be an answer. Just the question. And here's the question. What do you need to see again? What are the categories that you use to think about God? Do you need to see again? How do you define people who's, you know, in and who's out and who's your neighbor and who's your enemy? Sting says it this way. I hadn't quoted Sting in a while for you. One world is enough for all of us. And Mark says one loaf is enough for all of us. 
do you need to see again? What is the role of faith in your life? Are you still looking for signs from heaven? Or do you need to see again that God is always with us? Are you obsessed with money, with getting the next promotion? Do you need to think more of yourself? Do you think more of yourself than you ought to think? Or are you your own worst enemy? The person you most need to hear a word of forgiveness from. Do you need to see again? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus invites each one of us to look again at everything. If we do, there's hope that we might all sing together. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. May it be so. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.